0: sucker's going up. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. Uh, No Paul this week, so we've got a little bit less burgundy than usual, but we've still got me and we've still got Steve. How are you, Steve? Uh, Not too bad, Steve. Not too bad, thank you. Uh, How's
1: your week been, Steve?
0: My week's been uh, okay. A little bit um, choppy, markets-wise, and that's got me worrying a little bit uh, about uh, investors and stock markets and that sort of thing. I've been watching stocks coming down sort of since the beginning of the year and not too worried for my own portfolio partly because i haven't fallen that much and partly because i'm quite keen on the idea of stocks coming down a little bit to be honest i own companies that are doing buybacks and i'd quite like those buybacks to happen at lower rates to be honest because uh, if companies like meta are planning on buying back their stock i'd rather they bought back more of it um But I am kind of interested in what's going on from the perspective of a couple of different kinds of market participant, I guess. I'm interested in sort of people who are traders kind of masquerading as investors a little bit, who have started recently, but think the idea is to push up stock prices because, well, they're meant to go up eventually. So they think it's a good thing if they go up now. Um, And the other one is a certain kind of value investor, I guess, who has kind of come into the market near the top of the thing expecting stuff to go down and seen it going down i sort of wonder whether people are going to think it's either easier than it is or a lot harder than it is and I, I, yeah i'm really interested in seeing what happens with, with some of these guys a little bit worried for them if i'm honest yeah i can i can get on board with that i think there's a little
1: bit of a, an issue in that people tend to think they're a little bit of an oracle because they've spotted some things expensive and it goes down yeah, and I think that, that's that's a really valid issue, really. I think that, um, you know, we, we run the risk as as people who like growthy stocks of seeing stocks going up and, and picking one and the whole market going up and thinking you're a genius. And the, the flip side is, is also true, whereas you can, you know, you, you think you're looking at things that are overvalued and the stock market goes down, and all of a sudden you believe that your valuations are true. And somewhere in the middle there is where the truth lies. And uh, it's very difficult to say. I think, again... It, it's not a not a single criticism at anybody but it, it's very very difficult to pick markets uh, when they're going down it's very easy to pick markets when they go up neither getting any of those situations doesn't mean you're you're going to necessarily be right uh, when the other thing happens but yeah what what do you want to expand on your bit Steve
0: sure so i guess i'm thinking about sort of markets a little bit here and and trying to think about how i want to value stocks and how i want to think about them and i was watching uh, there's an Aswatomodaran the talk at Google. Uh, I'm very fond of this video. It says a lot of things that I think are just worth coming back to again and again and again for me. And he has a good shot at both growth investors and value investors, to be honest. He has um, a nice bit where he points out that, look, people like paying for sort of fancy buzzwords uh, like control and brands and things that don't really have sort of much Uh, tangible value until you explain why they have some sort of tangible value and stick a price on them. And I think we've seen quite a bit of that kind of coming through over the last few years, to be honest, companies that never make money and don't look like making money, but they have all kinds of nice things about them, including China, uh, as he says, um, being justified with kind of any multiple pay what you like uh, for them in a certain way. And on the other side of that, you have people who basically put numbers into things and usually put the wrong numbers into things, but then think, That's basically all investing is. Uh, Stick some numbers in. No idea why I wrote those numbers because, well, they're just kind of vaguely low. Uh, And at the end of it, what they do is stick in this thing called a terminal multiple, which is basically a way of saying, right, now times all those numbers by this, uh, and that's the number I'm ready to pay for it. Why? Because that's the number that the uh, market's ready to pay for it. And Demodron's point is that that's not valuing, that's pricing. It's like if you say to someone, well, what's your house worth? They start looking at the house next to it and say, well, that house sold for that and mine's roughly similar. So my house is kind of worth that. That's fairly obviously price. That's fairly obviously not value. That's just what you think a market will bear. And you can have a guess at that if you like. But that's trading rather than investing, uh, is Demodaran's thought here. De Moderen, um is
1: a value investor who also values stories. And that's mm-hmm. really key. I mean, he would explain it to you like this. If he gave you all of the finance, if you're only interested in financial, and there are YouTube channels out there that are only interested in financials. If he gave you all the financial information for Coca-Cola, um, and you plugged all of that into a database, would you end up with a, uh, with a stock that was trading at uh, 30 PE, uh, which is, very very far down the line of its growth some would say it's you know it's essentially stumbling along at the moment would you give it a 30 pe um well no i don't think anybody would but when you look at the the brand value the brand history the the strength of the product the fact that coke is like a verbiage for a for a a brown sugary water which has plenty of competition um so i still don't think it's worth a 30p let me put that out there but you know it's definitely worth a premium so yes valuing stuff based on the actual physical assets and the, the the cash flows and that is really really important but also the premium that you put on for the story is is just something else and that's the hardest part in investing and uh, plugging numbers into a calculator is dead simple uh coming away with a number that you think something's worth is fine but then trying to figure out the valuation of the the story behind it that's where that's where people fall foul um yeah any anything you want to, add to that, stage?
0: Not really. Let's let's turn to some stuff that we've actually been doing, shall we? We've um, last year around last July, I think, we started off a three-stock sampler to run alongside David Gardner's final three-stock sampler of what has been his undeniably impressive, by anybody's standards, uh, investing career at the Motley Fool. Um, he was putting out one final uh, five-stock sampler, I think, uh, to um, run for three years. And we thought we'd put together some five-stock samplers of our own. Uh, it's been a while since that we talked about these because we usually have Paul around and he doesn't really know what's going on with them. But, uh, Steve, you've got an update on how we've been getting on.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we'll go through the uh, individual companies first and then I'll give you the full overall, see if you can work mm-hmm. it out as we're going through it. So I'll, I'll start with mine because uh, that's probably uh, the easiest. Then we'll flick over to Steve's and then we'll, we'll eventually go to David's. So uh, just to remind you of my five, my five were um, Alphabet, Uh, Sartorius, uh, Autodesk, Tremor International, and Scott's Miracle Grow. Steve, which of those do you think is performing the worst?
0: Oh, I was hoping you would say the best. There's about three of them that I'm not sure about. Let's try Autodesk.
1: Autodesk actually in the middle. Um oh. I actually read them out in order for you, so Scott's Miracle <laughs> Bro is down forty nine and a half percent, and that was already a cheap stock when I picked it, so um I was quite surprised about that. But Alphabet down seven, Satorius down twenty three and a half, Autodesk down thirty <laughs> Tremor down forty point five, and Scott's Miracle Grow down forty nine and a half. Like I just said, so yeah, that is just a, a these are all symptoms of the market at the moment. Uh, you would do very well to to pick a green. So I will flick on to yours, Steve. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your five stocks?
0: I do. I think I have Alibaba. Uh, I have Aspen Tech. I'm not trying to read these out in order, by the way. Um, I have uh, I have the utility PG&E. Um, and I have two other stocks. Roblox. <laughs> oh, uh, God, yeah. And Renishaw. Do you want to take a stab at who's doing the worst? Yeah, Roblox is. It's Roblox, yeah, 65% yep.
1: down. Um, Alibaba, to be fair, down 60.5. So it's it's trying its best to catch yeah, up. Yeah,
0: I I wasn't far from picking Alibaba, to be honest. I'd forgotten I had Roblox and thought Alibaba was probably my worst. So Renishaw down 24.62%. PG&E
1: up 30%, Steve. Ooh. And uh, Aspen Technology, uh, that says here, delisted, what's happened there?
0: Yeah, that's slightly unfortunate. Um, I wasn't aware that was happening in this quarter, but I was aware it was happening during the course of um, this project that we have running for three years. So shortly after uh, I set this up, Aspen Tech announced a merger with Emerson Electric. Aspen Tech make process technology. It was one of my stocks of Paul from a little while ago. Uh, And they're basically merging themselves with the similar operations at Emerson Electric. So here's how to work out what I've got. I won't get Steve to do this for a moment, but the terms of the deal were, Steve, you should have got some cash somewhere uh, along the line for this. So the deal is you get the cash of that and every share of Aspen Tech we owned, which is probably a horrible fraction because you stuck about a quid into it. Two quid. Two quid, sorry. Uh, Still a horrible fraction, though. Uh, Multiply that by 042 um, and you get that many shares of what they're calling New Aspen Tech, which is the new kind of conglomerate-y thing. That currently has a share price of $189.48. Uh, so let's leave aside how that's going for the moment. I have a sense... I don't know. How much cash did you get, by the way? I think I got about £1.42 back. Okay, so uh, 42. I think I'm probably down slightly on that, but I'm not down like 60%. I can't be down 60% on that. We just got more than that in cash. Mm uh on this one so so that's down but not down as much by the look of it so we're just going to say to
1: everybody just the unique circumstances of this uh this um pie um we're going to let you guys uh, have a vote in the comments so drop us a comment and let us know whether we should let steve um spend his 1.42 uh buying a new stock or whether you think he should suffer the consequences of trying to game the system
0: uh, you say let, Steve, I mean, the stocks that we've got, I'm quite happy not having another one <laughs> at the moment. I'm not going to be able to keep forty two if I stick it in another stock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll just quickly uh, go on to uh, David Gardner, who is doing terribly. Um, yep. This is, uh, I think this sampler, he'll, be, he'll probably tell you, is a major blemish. On his um, on his record, so just to let you know, the Trade Desk, which we um, which is one of his stocks, uh, has actually grown to a position size of thirty two point zero four percent, and that's because the ones around it are doing so badly. Um, so I can remember two of them. Yeah, remind you of his stocks. It was uh, Peloton Interactive, Trade Desk, Axon Enterprises, Unity Software, and Zillow Group. Steve, I will not give you any prize for guessing who's
0: last. Well, I'm sort of between two, but I'll lean Peloton. You should do. That's
1: eighty-eight 88.5% mm. <laughs> down. Trade Desk down 34%. Axon Enterprises down 42%. Unity Software down 62.5%. And Zillow Group down 67%. So that is a disaster. So I did give you the overall numbers so you get a full picture. So um, David Gardner's sample as a whole is down 58.8%. Uh, I'm down 30.2%. But in the lead... Only 30.04% down, (laughs) so it's very, very close, is Steve. So congratulations, Steve. I think you do congratulations.
0: I was thinking I would have got them in that order, for what it's worth, before you read out the, the names. I thought, and I would have got them in that order mostly for the right reason. I'd forgotten about the Aspen Tech thing, to be honest, because I don't own it anymore in my own portfolio. I would have thought that my utility was going to be down slightly, but down slightly would probably be beating most things that were in everyone else's portfolio. So I was thinking that would have probably held me up, and it kind of has uh, held me up for the moment. Uh, And I would have had Gardener last because I wasn't actually sure quite whether Peloton or Zillow was down more. I knew they were both down a lot, and yeah, okay, it's Peloton, but I didn't think either has had anything that was down quite that badly.
1: Fair enough, yeah. I think he's struggling really here. Peloton has obviously been an awful pick, but the companies around it I suppose Zillow has been an awful pick. Unity, we, we talked about that um, last week, I believe. Yeah, that's got a bit of a one-time issue. Bear in mind, these samplers can run for three years, so a lot of things can change. Mm. Axon... Uh, is a risk of a demerger and trade desk is getting walloped with all the other things that have to do with marketing and advertising and we'll, we'll get onto that later. But yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's going all right, Steve. I think uh, these things happen in the market, There's nothing to be upset about, and maybe in three years' time these will be completely different stories and we'll be we'll be praising David Gardner again, but uh I guess we'll see.
0: Could be we're approaching our first year on this. It's getting on for the end of May. We started this at the beginning of July, I think. Hmm. That's so, true, yeah. Yeah, we're we're coming up for the point where a year isn't really meaningful in investing terms, especially not the year we've just had. I mean, I would say no individual year in the last sort of three or four has been particularly meaningful uh, in the, in investing terms. But um, in the course of a three year life uh, of a sampler, I guess a year is a reasonable time to be sort of taking stock or close to a year. Um, plenty of time for it to all turn around, though. Yeah, Absolutely. But it's a long way back for Peloton down that much.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know the maths for that, but that's a that is a long right.
0: way back. Right. I mean, we've all seen those charts where you lose fifty percent, you need to get fifty mm-hmm. into double. Uh, if that's power.
1: green in three years, like that'd be amazing.
0: <laughs> they, they, that'll have to be a completely different business. I, we have to. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know how that gets to be green in three years. It's the sucker's going up. It's not just our samplers that have been going red. Uh, It's been an interesting week so far. This is Wednesday that we're recording this. And yesterday, a lot of stuff went down quite a bit uh, because there was an announcement from Snap. Um, Steve, did you see what happened here? I can kick us off if you like. Uh, I did see what happened, Yes,
1: uh, Basically, um, this is a month after Snapchat Snapchat have announced their earnings. Uh, Their CEO, Evan Spiegel, uh, basically went to the JPM conference. And bear in mind, a month ago, Snapchat were raising guidance. Um... So they went to the JPM conference and said, uh, "It's it's all fire and hell. Um, we've had pretty much had a terrible month, and uh, we're going to revise all our guidance back back down." Um, is essentially what happened, and uh, the market does what the market does uh, somehow decided snapchat was going to be a bellwether for the advertising industry although snapchat has always performed quite differently to the industry especially uh, if you looked at facebook's last results facebook uh, obviously uh, sorry the results before this quarter that's just happened had fairly poor results and snapchat had really good results so why you would link the two together uh, is is beyond me but um yeah that was the general gist of it steve did you did you see anything anything
0: interesting no couple of interesting-ish things around um, that, but not much to sort of add particularly. I guess it, this was supposed to be a significant quarter of the Snapchat because it was supposed to be their first EBITDA, so not net income, but uh, something roughly approaching gross profit, uh, profitable um, quarter, I think. this was They're going to be breaking even, or they were going to be breaking even. They're now not going to be breaking even. Uh, they're going to be continuing to burn cash, and that might be significant in terms of the kind of move that we've seen here. Because the market is currently, as far as I can see, not particularly keen on companies that don't make any money at the moment. For reasons that Steve and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, actually, when it was just us two. Uh, We were pointing out that, yes, there is a value to cash today that cash in the future doesn't have. At least not on a pound for pound or dollar for dollar basis. You want to discount your future cash at a certain rate and that rate goes up as interest rates go up so with rising interest rates now not a great time to be a, a cash burning company it's more expensive to finance yourself and so on and so forth uh but yeah i also saw some things kicking on around the uh the market more generally alphabet went down six percent meta down about the same pinterest down 19 percent, and the trade desk down about 13 so these are all uh advertising tech stocks uh, of a sort getting whacked in a similar fashion um Steve, you were saying you, they're not quite so similar to uh, Meta and some of the others.
1: Um, only that in previous quarters I've noticed no correlation between the between the two. I think comparing the two there is is pretty difficult. I think um, Snapchat, Pinterest, Trade Desk—they're all doing completely different things as well. So it, it is interesting that the the market essentially took the first bit of bad news and reassessed all of its figures and. and closed everybody down the the, the the same amount which is not necessarily the right thing and, and i mean just fast forwarding to today yesterday i bought the trade desk and it finished four percent up for me and it's up nine percent today i bought a whole load of pinterest because i just thought that had gone down too far that's up 10 percent today so the market is basically correcting those over corrections that it made um yesterday but it, it's one of those things is that I, I didn't think that reaction was justified but then how, how can i know Do you know what i mean it, neither of you here steve can know essentially what happened yesterday was that i thought pinterest got way way cheaper than it should be and i bought it and it went up that's got nothing to do with the fact that i bought it uh, that's just absolute sheer luck um but yeah i think it's a, a, a an interesting time for the market there is i read i was listening to the motley fool today when i was driving to site and they basically said this is a, a market that isn't interested in nuance and that Definitely shows uh, it isn't interested in the, the smaller bits. If if something bad is happening, everybody who is even touching that segment is about to get whacked. And uh, and, and that's essentially what we saw.
0: Yeah, that was Tim Byers saying that, wasn't it? It um, was, yeah. Uh, Motley Fool. I, I was listening to that this morning as well in the gym. In my case, not driving to site because I don't drive anywhere to a site. But uh, yeah, there was some interesting stuff I saw on that um, show. We really like Motley Fool stuff. We um, tend to be quite regular listeners. I guess one thing that I uh, thought was particularly interesting on this was some of the kind of uneven coverage. To your point about um, not being a market timing genius, even though you're now sat on a nice green position because you probably timed the bottom quite nicely uh, there. I guess one thing to note is that you did strictly break some trading rules uh, that we've been thinking of, I guess, where you and I have been considering an idea that's prominent amongst traders, Um, not because we're particularly interested in trying to trade anything. But big drops down, followed by a three-day wait, and then you buy something. So if you have... Think back sort of to... This is where I started thinking about this. Think back kind of to earnings calls on uh, Meta, Facebook, call it what you like. Big drop down uh, as the daily average users came off. Um, The apparent strategic thing to do there, so I was hearing, is uh, wait three days because what will happen is effectively um, people's stop losses will get hit uh, in trading. They will be forced to sell uh selling will push the price lower that will hit the next round of stop losses and so on and so forth uh and that will be kind of that's interesting stuff to see happen um as a kind of argument i guess against market timing steve appears to have done a pretty good job of nailing the bottom in pinterest at least for the moment anyway uh by completely ignoring this and buying it immediately it fell down
1: well, I'm up 12 and percent on trade this <laughs> at the moment. So yeah, I've time the pants off that, but trade this is one of the stocks that quite regularly falls down to, um, I mean, this is trading talk, but it quite regularly falls down into the forties and then quite rapidly ends up being 60 again. And I keep looking at it thinking, I just wish you'd have just a few more dollars off the price. And I think that's. That's one of those things with Trade Desk is, is what we said earlier. You can put all the numbers into a calculator you like, but you can't sell the story of what Trade Desk has, especially with these privacy rules coming in uh, with Apple and Google. And mm. Trade Desk has a real solution there. Now, whether that becomes the mass-adopted solution or not is a different story. But that, that at the moment, while being the only solution available, is worth something, especially in a market where Snapchat are turning around saying that they're finding it almost impossible to target people who won't, um, won't share data with them. So, yeah, I think that's particularly interesting for me. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's just one of those days today, isn't it? The market's up big anyway. So, I mean, into it, which is a stock that we'll probably come on to later, that, that's also up really big. I mean, their earnings report was good. Don't get me wrong. The guidance was good. But, you know, should a stock that's a $100 billion valuation be going up 9% in a day? I mean, I don't care how far it's fallen. It was an overvalued stock to start with. Uh, for it to jump 9% in a day is, is kind of nuts. But I don't know. Steve, <laughs> what, what do you
0: think? It's it's tough to know what to think about these sorts of things, isn't it? I mean, the stuff falling in sympathy with Snap also got my attention a little bit. I mean, partly stuff is falling different amounts. So you saw Alphabet and Meta falling less. It's... Fair to say that, yeah, they are bigger companies making smaller moves, but neither of them is what you would call diversified in terms of revenue. Not at the moment. I mean, Alphabet has lots going on. Meta has a metaverse thing going on. But neither of those are, I mean, they are basically advertising businesses right now. Uh, Google stuff brings in sort of 99, I think, percent of revenues at Alphabet, uh, something in that area. So this is effectively an advertising business. And I was trying to figure out why I think we're getting such kind of uneven coverage uh, across them i did find something that i thought was kind of, uh, kind of interesting um though and it was on this distinction between uh brand advertising or brand marketing and performance advertising or performance marketing uh, steve you have the business degree out of us two either i saw something on youtube recently do you know what that difference is supposed to be no go on enlighten me So performance advertising or performance marketing is uh, roughly speaking where you as um, a company looking to market yourself pay the platform that you are marketing yourself through when someone performs a specific function like clicking on something, signing up to a thing. You get the idea. Uh, So your platform, let's say Meta for the moment, because uh, that's an obvious example, uh, will get paid from certain places when someone clicks through on their ad that appears in your feed or something like that. That's performance marketing. Brand marketing is the kind of harder to measure. It's very easy to measure performance marketing, by the way. You get data about clicks. You see how much you pay. uh, And that's very easy to keep an eye on what's doing stuff and what isn't doing stuff. People are clicking through from this. They're not clicking through from this other platform. Okay, cool. Uh, Brand marketing is apparently the kind of slightly softer uh, stuff. It's the stuff you use to build an image in your kind of consumer's mind. So they will click on your performance marketing thing. You can't just barrage people with ads and hope they'll click on them randomly. I mean, you can, but it's not a very good idea. They're much more likely to click on your ad if they have a kind of positive impression of you as a brand. You might think of this as a kind of traditional marketing. The stuff that Buffett's always banging on about when he talks about Coca-Cola wanting to be everywhere where you were happy at the Olympics and so on and so Mm. forth. Um, Here's a take that I saw that I think is kind of interesting. So Snap is apparently about 50-50 between brand marketing and performance marketing. Um, And there's a kind of hypothesis going around that brand marketing is the first thing to get cut uh, when it's difficult to spend money on marketing, when inflation gets high, when uh, advertising dollars get pinched and so on. Why? Because that one's the one that's difficult to measure, basically. You can see what's working in performance marketing. Brand marketing gets paid back when you haven't got the kind of nice extra money to spend on these sorts of things. Uh, Alphabet has a far heavier weighting towards performance marketing, as you can imagine with a search results click on our thing type thing. Um, There aren't many kind of banners on Google from brands and so on. And Meta is somewhere between uh, Alphabet and Snap in terms of brand marketing, performance marketing balance. So I heard someone saying uh, quite an interesting take. I thought that it looks like what's getting cut is probably brand marketing spending. Um, and Snapchat being kind of heavily exposed to that is therefore falling further. They've not got data on that yet, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when Snap does report its earnings in around, I guess, two months or so time.
1: So this this hacks back to university days, but um, so when we were we were, we were talking about old brands versus new brands. Um, we, we basically, everybody had to do the first year of marketing mm-hmm. at university. And they used to talk about how, um, new brands, uh, attracting young people, try and tell them that they're cool because young people buy cool things from cool companies. Whereas older brands just trying to get you in the door because they'll be able to sell you things once you, once you get in there. So, um, it harks back to what you believe essentially is going to happen. Um, you know whether we believe that America is going to go into recession. If America goes into recession, two things are going to get cut: marketing budgets and headcounts. Um, and I mean, I used to work in marketing as well, so. Um, which is which is a long time ago. I've probably forgotten more than I care to remember. But uh, there, there there are things in marketing that you, ha- that you advertise in a core. You have a core budget and that gets spent on, say, that's getting spent on Google, for for example. And then you have a little bit of your side marketing budget that you try things on. So somebody might say to you, hey, you know that Snapchat is really good for getting your product in front of young people. So you trial these things, but you just trial a little bit of money on your Pinterest and you trial a little bit of money on your Snapchats and you... Try a little bit of money on, on on any other service that you want to try. On Bing, I think we tried at one point. Um, but the, the point is is that when you cut your marketing budget down, all you do is concentrate on your core marketing spends. And that will be going back to whoever gives you the best results. And that tends to be, for 99% of the companies around uh, around the world, is Google. Uh, and, f- and probably Facebook. So do these companies, if Snapchat's saying we're having a weaker period, do these companies deserve to be down 6%, 7 8%? That's tricky for me. Uh, I I don't believe so.
0: I think the answer is no. And I have two interesting uh, thoughts on what... Well, t- I don't have two interesting thoughts. I have two thoughts on interesting things that you said uh, and that sort of thing, based on your kind of marketing career. Uh, my first thought sure. is... Yeah, no wonder it was the sudden short, you spent money on Bing um <laughs> uh my second one is so in terms of marketing budgets it seems like there's a kind of staples and a kind of discretionary and those are words that we use when we think about consumer products basically we think of consumer staples as stuff like uh food and toiletries and those sorts of things where we think well realistically there's only so far spending's going to wander off on those things uh, people might make economies and do things slightly cheaper buying kind of non-branded stuff They're not going to stop eating uh, and so on. Uh, Then there's discretionary stuff on the side of that, which is stuff like new cars or new houses or anything in that sort of area. Those are things where spending tends to be higher uh, when things are going well and lower when things are going badly. Sounds like marketing departments. And when we think about ad spending, we might break that down similarly then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's... um... That's, that's pretty true. Yes. Sir. I I would say that nearly everywhere that I've ever looked at a marketing budget, we always had a call spend and then, you know, it's, I want to use the word fritter, but it's not, it's not the right term, but <laughs> trialing, trialing new things. Hmm. Um, and, and realistically, I mean, I used to work at a college, they used to do a lot of, uh, oddly, they used to do a lot of paper advertising. And one of my jobs uh, that I got hired was to tell them how bad that was. And I produced all the data in the well. But when when um, admissions started to, to, to drop a little bit, they would give you money to spend on the paper. And the reason for that, I think off the top of my head was to try and convince the parents to get the kids to go to the to this college which I don't know if uh, those teachers had ever uh, tried to convince a 16 year old child to do something the parent wanted that's not how it works and we, we were focused on make, trying, just trying to make the college look cool and that was the way we were going to get we were going to get kids in so um, but yeah I, you're 100% right yeah this, it, actually a really good way of putting it for, for investors is that there's you know there's discretionary in staples I think that's probably the easiest way to understand market budgets
0: cool um that's pretty much it on snap i think for us steve i've not got anything else anything else jump out at you no that's it oh aside from their attempt at blaming it on the macroeconomic environment uh i guess which was sort of interesting you think of snap as a kind of thing that doesn't have much by way of inflationary inputs but i guess if it counts as a discretionary spend then uh macroeconomics is relevant there i guess
1: well that's i guess that, that was what they were trying to get at wasn't they they're, they're saying that uh, yes yeah, supply change they're not saying supply chains are affecting them, essentially, mm. they're saying supply chains are affecting their customers, which is meaning that they're not wanting to spend. But
0: yeah, I I, I got it in the end. The first time I saw it, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's been a big thing for me thinking about things that are, are inflation resistant at the moment. And effectively, I think there's kind of two options if you want stuff that's inflation resistant by stuff that has control over its pricing. Uh, and buy stuff that effectively doesn't have any kind of inflationary inputs. Um, But it turns out that might be harder than I thought it was. Anyway, let's talk about some people who make buying stuff look easy, uh, because they buy stuff and it basically goes up because everyone else does it. So let's talk 13Fs. It's just come out for a week ago since sort of 13F season was in real full swing, but uh, we were busy talking about things with Paul then, so we didn't talk about these. Uh, let's talk Berkshire Hathaway because we always do. It's always good to know what Warren Buffett's been up to, uh, or at least Warren Buffett and his general lieutenants at Berkshire Hathaway. We knew a little bit about this because there are reporting requirements that can require a company to say what they've been buying before a 13F period. So if they go over a certain amount of a company or something of uh, to that effect. So some of these are going to be familiar, but here's the general rundown of stuff that Warren Buffett's been buying, uh... Lots in Chevron, lots in Occidental Petroleum. Quite a bit in Activision Blizzard. A decent amount in Hewlett Packard. A decent amount in Citigroup. Um, a fair bit in Celonis, McKesson. More Apple. A company called Markel, which will be very familiar to anyone who's a Motley Fool listener. Uh, or indeed a Sven-Karlin fan. He's covered them before. And Ally Financial, plus some other smaller things. Anything jump out of you there, Steve, on the buying side? Uh... Not really.
1: I think if you look across the 13Fs, it's quite a, uh, people are kind of sort of poking in the general direction of, of oil and utilities and sort of cash today companies. And, and this, I mean, you wouldn't expect much else from Berkshire, especially in the sort of top buy section of theirs. You wouldn't expect them to be, you know, putting it all in snowflake. Um, but yeah, I think uh, well, the things that jumped out for me was the cells, really. I mean, they, they're out of Bristol-Myers Squibb. I guess this is a suitable place, time to say that. I think you are too, Steve, and as am I. Uh,
0: yeah, we're both out of Bristol-Myers Squibb. Um, wonder how long it'll take Paul to listen to this episode and realise this, but, mm. um, yep, butcher have sold Bristol-Myers Squibb. They've been selling Bristol-Myers Squibb a fair bit recently. Uh, they've now finally come out of that position. They've also sold, uh, as of the thirteen F reporting date, all of their stake in Verizon Bar 1%, uh, and I would be surprised if they still have that 1%. It's a company that, uh, that's a stock that they had to, uh, or well, decided they wanted to uh, ask for special requirements to not disclose over a 13F period because they wanted to buy more of it without attracting attention. And they were given permission to do that. That tells me that that's an amount that's going to be hard to unload quickly uh, because you can't just sell that much of a stock in one go. Also sold ABVI, Store Capital, Wells Fargo, and Royalty Pharma. Um, okay, Steve, what sticks out for you in these? I think it's probably the same thing that sticks out to me.
1: I mean, star capitals, uh, a pretty, pretty interesting sell for Buffett. I, I, again, it's not really a stock I would associate, um, with Buffett f- to be fair, but I guess the, the farmer sells, um, they've, they've all been very good for him. They've all done very well. I would assume that on his Bristol Myers, on his Abfi position, um, he's probably made at least 20% on them. I, I would imagine they've they've all kind of rocketed up in the last, uh, at least in the last couple of months. So providing, uh, it was sold at some point in, you know, during that period. So I think they've all been very good. I think Verizon's quite an interesting one. Um, I did say that to you at the time that I I couldn't really understand why this was a Buffett purchase. There's quite a lot of things in there that, um, I mean, he's never liked the telecoms industry because it's quite labor. It's, it's quite cost intensive to build out networks. Uh, he doesn't really like companies with a lot of debt and Verizon has more debt than some most sovereign countries. Um, uh, and yeah i mean we suspect that that was simply a dividend player um again outside of that i think he's he's completely overweight in apple which i guess you know he as a, as an investor of his ilk he's in he's allowed to be but uh the other one that really jumps out to me is that the bank of america position being so big in second place because i've just finished um mary buffett and the interpretation of financial statements and midway through that book she uh talks about how warren pretty much hates bank of america and he really likes wells fargo uh and he doesn't like bank of america because they're a bit loose with their um credit controls whereas wells fargo um is not as loose with its um Credit controls mainly because it just makes accounts up for people and uh, makes up. I don't know whether you saw the other day. They've they've also been found out that they're trying to Wells Fargo are trying to increase their uh, interviewing diversity and they've been to do so. They've been setting up fake interviews with diverse people to. Uh, so they've just not learned their lesson, is what we're trying to say here. They just they're just disgusting. But anyway, what's jumping out of you, Steve?
0: Uh, What's jumping out at me is what you said. Buffett's selling dividend stocks uh, by the look of it. I mean, Charlie Munger said at the Daily Journal meeting, and this is not Charlie Munger just being old and forgetting where he is. The Daily Journal meeting is, in fairness, full of people asking questions about Berkshire Hathaway in ways that presumably must annoy actual Daily Journal staff, uh, where they say something like, why does Berkshire own so much farmer stuff? Um, and Charlie Munger's answer was something along the lines of, well, we don't really know good from bad in the pharma industry, but we think they're cheap and they're going to pay dividends for a bit. Uh, and we think the market's generally overpriced. It's as simple as that. Uh, and they've been selling down these positions for quite a while now. They had a decent-sized stake in Merck, which they've got rid of. Uh, they had decent-sized stakes in all of these uh, major pharmaceuticals. They take the view of saying, look, we don't know which one's which to buy a basket of them. Uh, Big Pharma might be going places at the moment, so will be involved, but will be involved quite broadly without claiming to have any kind of special edge here. I was more surprised by the Verizon thing. I thought I'd made sense of that in my head uh, as to why that was a Berkshire holding. I was clearly wrong. But um, if you think railroads, think utilities, think those kinds of things, these are all kind of cost-intensive, heavy industry things. They're things that Buffett thinks will be kind of indispensable uh, for the next 10 years or so, and arguably Verizon goes into that category. I saw Sven's video on uh, the, the Berkshire 13F, and he was quite grumpy about it, I think, because I think he probably also put quite a bit of energy into working out why Buffett had been buying Verizon and explaining what a good idea it was, and then he goes and sells it again. Um, mm. But the main thing I notice is, if you compare the kind of left-hand side, to the buying side to the right-hand side, it's a good amount of um, selling dividend stocks and buying things that I don't associate as dividend stocks. That's not to say they don't pay dividends, Uh, But there appear to be some kind of interesting mixtures of stuff. Apple pays a dividend, but we all know that uh, that's not really a kind of dividend stock in the sense of you're not likely to get much by collecting the yield off that. The other stuff like Chevron and Occidental don't strike me as things you buy for the dividend. You strike me, you buy them because you're bullish on oil, uh, specifically US oil. Uh, And Activision Blizzard, well, uh, I mean, Paul told you almost perfectly why that was a good idea um a little while ago it's being bought by microsoft they clearly have the cash to do it the share price was down pretty well uh it's well short of the offered price Offer by price. microsoft mm-hmm. yep um and actually before then it was down quite a bit from its highs anyway so even if you get left with the stock because the deal gets scotched by um uh antitrust or something like that it's there's a decent chance that you're not going to have the worst business in the world at a reasonable ish price they've Five and
1: a five and a bit billion bet on uh, the arbitrage of that going through, um, and again, that's uh, it's not going to make much of a dent in in Buffett's portfolio if he's wrong, because essentially he's just getting Activision at a half decent price, um, providing Activision can uh, turn the company around, I guess, and keep releasing uh, games that people want to buy. I guess that's that's not too too bad of a buy. Just as a side note, I think um, we're seeing quite a lot of uh, M and in that. In that kind of area so uh I, I, it's it's been rumored that ea have put themselves up for sale apparently they've mm. approached disney of all people to buy them and also um take two are at 12 billion they've just completed the acquisition of zynga but i think they're not a million miles away from from being acquired by somebody um somebody a little bit bigger so if you're going to stop the activision deal you have to stop a lot of A in that industry if you if you want to stop it so uh obviously there's ubisoft as well that are potentially looking for a sweeter. so uh so i uh sort of suitor sorry and um i think um yeah i think it's a it's a pretty interesting time in, in that that period of the market i think what did you make of the Allied financial like, that wasn't a stock that i would have put as something buffett would buy
0: Allied Financials, not one i knew particularly well i've not got that in my list of um stuff that i think is particularly comment worthy here did you ever thought on it
1: not, again, no, not really, because I, I just wouldn't have thought we would have come across it, I guess, is, is what I was saying. I mean, he, he is very finance-heavy, again, mm-hmm. uh, Buffett. There's a lot of insurers now. There's a lot of uh, well, insurer conglomerates and banks and, uh, and and companies of that ilk. So uh, it's interesting. He's he's very focused in what I would say is the industrial side of the market at the moment, and then that's evidently where he sees his returns.
0: Hmm. I mean, he's also been buying Apple, mind you, and one of the things I noticed looking across the 13F more broadly is that that puts him in almost direct conflict, almost direct, uh, with Michael Burry, whose largest thing he reported on his 13F was a bunch of put options in Apple. In other words, he's betting that price is going down. Uh, underneath that, there was some holdings in Booking Holdings, Warner Brothers, Alphabet, Meta Platforms, Nextstar and Stellantis, and throwing away... Those prisons that he's been owning for some time now. Uh, General Dynamics, Fidelity National Financial, and that SPAC thing that I've forgotten what it is or was or does, basically. um, Yeah, what do you think, Steve?
1: Yeah, it didn't. it's never really made any sense to me uh, that Bury was out buying a SPAC. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Bury's 13F is... I feel like it's kind of unremarkable this time around. I mean, this companies in there that I, You know, he's buying Google, he's put against Apple... Booking.com and Discovery, they're not remarkable companies, are they? They're not companies that I would Booking and Discovery and Cigna. They're not companies I would run to. Uh, And then Fidelity, General Dynamics, can't get really excited. I mean, I'm looking at the top of his 13F and it's it's Apple puts, Squib, Booking, Discovery, and Google. Mm -hmm. uh, Makes up pretty much all of his portfolio. I I don't know about Bury. Uh, I I don't know. I'm guessing he still sees a market that's going to collapse. He's he's looking at very much sort of cash to air companies, but I just can't get excited about anything other than Google in this portfolio.
0: Yeah, so I think in our cases, trying to reconstruct what's going on in Michael Burry's head is, is likely to be more speculative than anything else. And I think that's probably true of a lot of YouTubers, by the way. Plenty will have a go. But mm. trying to work out what an incredibly sophisticated, nuanced uh, stock market participant, I'm not going to say investor so much as probably trader, uh is thinking who takes into account loads and loads of complicated macro stuff plus a load of technical stuff plus a load of uh currency stuff uh we're not going to be able to tell you that but we can tell you things that are interesting from our perspective i was interested in selling general dynamics um this feels to me like it's time for general dynamics it feels to me like the kind of pandemic was uh big healthcare. mostly pfizer uh does quite well Uh, Russia war in Ukraine strikes me as big defence probably does quite well. General Dynamics isn't hugely exposed to sort of fighters and stuff, but um, it's in the sort of... It's in broadly a sector where defence spending is likely to go higher, I think.
1: Yeah, I guess um, this is a period... uh, Again, it's guessing why he thinks this is time to let it go. Maybe he was only in there for a quick buck, you know, looking to put it somewhere else. It's just impossible to guess. I... You would assume that the next uh, period of at least five, ten, probably even a couple of decades, that um, countries are going to up their defense budgets. They're going to meet their minimum NATO spending, and thus all of these companies that produce uh, weaponry and defense uh, are going to are going to get their money's worth. But um, I guess there's plenty of time for that to play out. And uh, Burry is looking for something more immediate, and he looks to me like. You know, he's he's got one in for Apple, which you know, uh, it's it's Bury versus Buffett. Um, I mean, it would be a, a a not so interesting fight in the ring. So let's see how they do. Uh, let's see how they do on the markets.
0: It'll be interesting to see how they do on the markets, won't it? I mean, Buffett, of course, has sat on a massive cash pile, still having even sent quite a bit out in the last quarter. You pointed out that Burry is interested in the near future, and you're dead right about that. I think Buffett's sincere when he says he's not making kind of stock or market uh, predictions, particularly he's making business predictions. So there is a kind of good sense in which both of them can be right here, right? So if markets go down generally, Apple comes down uh, in the near future and generally does well over time at the business level, there's a good sense in which they're both right. And I view this as pretty strong evidence. It's likely to go that way, uh, for what it's worth. Um Of course, we always have partial information on 13Fs. We don't know what anyone's outright short. We don't know about international holdings, um, and things may well have changed since they were released, especially in the case of Burry, who appears to be turning over his almost entire portfolio. I like the idea that he's uh, just kind of leaving stuff in towards the end of the 13F period, saying, here you are, have a look at that, retail investors. Hmm. Um, try and make sense out of this and then sell them all the next day uh, and just replace them back with stuff that he really wants like he's holding GameStop until every 13F reporting period and then just getting rid of it again <laughs> off the edge
1: yeah I like that I like it. it's a little bit of a mystery for me. he does a bit of window dressing just the day before and goes yeah you mm. guys pick away at that and then I'll change it back the next day
0: yeah <laughs> general dynamics and Bristol Myers squib see what you make of those two <laughs> plus a SPAC <laughs>
1: Shall I run on to uh, Miller? Yes, please. So uh, Miller is the last one in 30 NIFs that we want to look at. He's got a really interesting portfolio. He, he really likes his emerging markets. Just a interesting fact that I pulled out before, uh, druck has been doing. Uh, druck has been in the markets for forty years. Uh, he's never recorded a down year, and I think he'll do well to not do it this year. But I guess we'll see. Uh, he even got an eleven percent return uh, in two thousand and eight during the financial crisis. So that's pretty crazy. Um, he compounded assets at thirty percent annual rate for thirty straight years. I mean, that is that is crazy. If there's a if there's a man to follow, uh, Druck and Miller is the one um so his 13f is pretty interesting he's got puts against the s&p 500 uh he's top buys uh outside of that is tech resources do you know them steve
0: uh i know the name but i can't think what they do t-e-k right
1: t-e-c-k uh they're on they're on the nyc they're a canadian company and they're just a a general miner i think they mine coal
0: um coal copper zinc and i have uh, heard of these did you say he was long or short them He's long. Okay, interesting. I heard them being um, touted as a short recently. Carry he's on. long
1: he's long on all of these, so it's uh, next on those would be Microsoft. He's got he's he's uh, three point eight eight percent. Uh Chevron and Kotera Energy. Kotera Energy being uh, I believe they're a gas extractor. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're, for Miller this is interesting because Druckenmiller doesn't generally buy. I mean, Microsoft, yeah, and, and puts against the S&P, yeah, definitely. But the other three, these are a bit out there. Uh, so it sells, uh, big reduction in Google, big reduction in Palo Alto networks, big reduction in Kavana, uh big reduction in Airbnb, and a big reduction in booking.com. So again, this is kind of uh, different to what uh, what, what Barry is thinking Um with obviously buying booking.com but i'll just quickly go through his his top holdings so his top holdings remains coupon nearly 15 percent of his portfolio then it's microsoft freeport mcmoran you expect that to be so high steve
0: uh only from memory i wouldn't have had it up there if i was guessing Hmm. at things although that that does make some sense to me
1: so amazon and chevron make up the last two in the five and I, i was just looking at his um his sector allocation over time uh and Over this quarter, he's gone heavy on materials. He's gone heavy on energy. uh, He's Mm -hmm. reduced reduced his tech, and he's gone. uh, Um, he's reduced his uh, consumer discretionary as well. So, Uh, I think Druck is a big macro guy, and I think he's trying to tell you there that he's uh, he's expecting commodities energy to do okay and uh recession ahead i guess is what druck mill's trying to tell you there. just just as a side note uh assets under management uh q1 2021 was about 4.6 billion we're now obviously q1 22 uh 2022 and he's at 2.3 so he's essentially halved the size of that portfolio over that period so i think he'll do well to come back from there but uh i think what druck and mill's trying to tell you here is that um there's going to be quite a lot of things that are gonna they're gonna do quite poorly
0: Yep, there's a few things there that kind of spoke to what I'm sort of thinking about at the moment. Uh, So, thinking about this market, where would you be if you'd been doing well? Answer, you would be in basically commodities, and I'm including oil as a commodity uh, for the moment, rather than thinking of it as separate energy as a category. So, what's done really well? A bunch of materials, things like tech resources. um, Freeport McMoran has presumably done all right. Copper has uh, been—it's just come off a little bit, I think. But oil prices as we all know are very high and people are talking about super cycles and i always get a little bit wary when i hear these sorts of things the last thing i heard mm-hmm. about was semiconductors have apparently become acyclical, but then all the semiconductor stocks came down again because it turns out they're not um i was hearing it kind of touted a little bit that uh yeah it's clearly the case that most fund managers who are actively managed fund managers have been hiding in commodities uh, basically uh, either through stocks or just by buying the commodities directly as a way of sort of shielding yourself from a falling S&P. Another way of trying to do that is S&P puts, like Druckenmiller. (laughs) But I did hear it being kind of suggested that perhaps this is about as good as it gets for commodities stocks at the moment. Uh, Inflation is high, supply chains are low, there's a war on, blocking things off fairly well. Uh, It feels like there's almost a kind of perfect storm going in favour of commodities, including oil and gas and so on. Um, and people who are more interested in trading than I am and interested in working out what might be happening in the next sort of six months or so, so I think across the summer, basically, were thinking there's an interesting situation in China where their finished product inventory is very high, there are lockdowns going on, so they need less by way of kind of basic materials. I wonder whether that's the next sort of 13F or so we'll see something a bit different from uh, Druck, who is more interested than, say, Buffett in what's going on right now. Uh, rather than what will in general happen once the kind of uh, everyday ups and downs wash out a little bit
1: yeah again that's a fair point i think um we're looking at uh druck who has a sort of medium-term uh macro look at the market he really likes emerging markets we've got Buffett, who is Mister Back America, and back them for a very long time, and we've got Bury, who is everything's going to hell, uh, and it's going to happen in the next six months, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna predict that. And um, yeah, I just think there's three really interesting 13Fs, and the, the weird thing about them is, is you're listening to three completely different investors there. All of them are incredibly successful. So mm-hmm. if you somebody's telling you there's only one way to make money in the stock market, then they're completely you've got to completely say, well, look, how, how are these three guys doing it?
0: Yep, uh, and the answer is very, very well and in very, very different ways. Fun story for you, Steve. Um, I, When we were playing games, and we've stopped doing the games now because apparently we're the only ones that enjoy them, I had an idea for a game where I was going to have Paul and Steve guess the headlines. Or guess what stocks are behind the headlines, like eight stocks to buy during a recession or something uh, and give them some multiple choice options about that. Um, I did a little bit of this just in our own chat that we have when we're preparing for the show asking, what do you think this company's uh, this kind of stock advisory service is pushing at the moment? Um, I made the mistake of giving one of them my email address and apparently my phone number as well. So they rang me up today saying they hadn't heard from me for a little while. And would I be interested in their latest free report? And I said, yes, why not? Uh, And while we were there, he was giving me some stuff about their company and how well they've been uh, presenting strategies and developing them and so on. And he basically said to me at the moment, look, you want to be in two things. Uh, He said cash, number one, be about 60% in cash, he said, and about 40% in dividend stocks uh, for the rest of it. And he basically suggested I get into Rio Tinto. Uh, If you have the view like I do that this might be about as good as it gets for commodity stocks and that Rio Tinto is a pretty good example of a company that's having it as well as it's ever likely to have it, I don't like that idea very much. As such, I told him that I probably, by all means, send me the report. I haven't looked at it yet. But um, I'm not particularly interested in signing up for your thing. Uh, Especially not since my man Buffett's running out of dividend stocks.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, that feels – well, that just feels like worrying – Worrying. I guess it's not advice. They're not allowed to say it's advice, but that just feels like a, a worrying direction to push somebody in, um, mm-hmm. especially when all of these stocks are trading pretty strongly at the moment and uh, – yeah, and I mean, you only have to look at the lumber prices as well at the moment. I mean, I'm in mean, the timber industry, so I spent far too long looking at it. That's coming down <laughs> a long way; it's almost halved. So, um, you know, that that is a sign for at least our industry that things are getting back to some level of normality. So, uh, it's only too long. It's, sorry, it's not too long before everything follows behind. I mean, these prices are unsustainable. Um, so we will we will have to see. I, I guess I'm uh, waffling, but I, I'm not in a rush to go to Rio Tinto now.
0: No. Nope. Uh, are you in a rush to go into Intuit, Steve?
1: I, I, I've rushed into it far too early. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I am still currently about, about 12% down on it, but we have got their third quarter earnings, and they're pretty good. Um, so, Intuit is one of those massive companies that we talked about probably 10 or 15 episodes ago that nobody has ever heard of. And uh, they own quite a lot of. Quite a lot of brands one you won't have heard of but it is does make up quite a quite a large chunk of their revenue which is TurboTax. uh they've got in a little bit a little bit of trouble for TurboTax, and i'll tell you about that um i'll tell you about that a bit later but they also own mailchimp so if you've done any any form of uh, email marketing um mailchimp is the go-to uh to to design really good looking functional emails and uh and you know get them out uh, and they also own uh, things like Credit Karma. So Credit Karma is another sort of uh, part of their brand. Credit Karma they bought. Uh, this will be the fourth, the first full year with Credit Karma. And MailChimp, they only bought it in the last quarter. So some of these are a little skewed. And I'll tell you when and where they are skewed by uh, the, the results. And I've also worked out uh, what they were excluding um, MailChimp for you as well. So you get an idea of just how good this company is doing. So it's a $100 uh, roughly, company. I think, Steve, you might want to have to check that for me. But... Um, I'll just give you some quick uh, results. So this is third quarter. Um so total revenue is up to 5.6 billion which is uh growth of 35%. So when we uh that includes mailchimp. So when we exclude it, total revenue actually grew 29%, so that's still pretty strong. Uh the consumer uh, group revenue grew 32% to 3.2 billion which uh, reflects that there was an earlier tax filing deadline in 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 the US. So um the online ecosystem revenue grew 67% to $1.2 billion. Again, uh, this is excluding uh, MailChimp. Um, the only online ecosystem grew 31%, so still pretty strong. And Credit Karma revenue grew 48% to $468 million, which is a record for the business. So... They break their businesses up into a few, a few different um, interesting things. So they have a small business and self-employed group. Uh, the growth um, on that, the guiding for thirty-six to thirty-seven percent growth, which is up from the previous guidance, which was thirty-two to thirty-three uh, percent. That reflects about twenty percent organic growth, and then obviously you've got the new, the, the, the new business that they've acquired. In there. Uh, they're expecting consumer growth of about ten percent, uh, and they were guiding for ten percent before. And uh, Credit Karma, they're expecting revenues of about $1.8 billion, uh, at the midpoint. And they were guiding for $1.54 at the low end, $1.565. So that's quite a big lift. Um... Outside of that, there were some pretty interesting um, bits and pieces. So they're expecting full year revenue to be uh, 12.633 billion to 12.674 billion. That's really close together. Uh, That's growth of approximately 31 to 32%. That does include MailChimp and it does now include uh, Credit Karma. Um, That's guidance that they've upped from 26 to 28%, obviously, to 31 to 32. Um, Just to sort of like go to a side, they they recently got fined 141 million dollars because uh, they were basically advertising Turbo taxes free. When it, it's only free for somebody who has a really basic tax return. If there's any any nuance to your to your tax return, it's not free. And basically, all the state attorneys across America all sort of pitched together and said, "Look." You can advertise this at free. This is not fair, and they basically had to give 141 uh, million dollars back. So, when you're looking at things like their um, EBITDA and things like that, then they're obviously going to be they're going to be hit by this. So, um, non-GAAP operating income, which is the which is the, the the metric they give us, is 4.451 billion to 4.471 billion, which again is growth of uh, about 28, uh, percent which is up from the previous guidance, which was 25 percent at the low end. The, Gave gap as well a bit later on, which was two point four nine nine billion to two point five one nine billion, uh, which is uh, which is about flat. But you've got to remember, there's that hundred and forty one million to come off that. So, um, so there, sorry, that has already come off that. So there is a, a slight amount of growth in there. It would be about five and a half percent if you if you stick it back in. And uh, yeah, earnings per share eleven point six eight to eleven point seven four. They're expecting twenty to twenty one percent up from eighteen to twenty percent. So yeah, really really interesting business growing. Still pretty fast, strong, profitable, um, you know, got some new legs, I guess is what you would call it, with all these new businesses. Um, Generating a lot of cash, could go out and buy more stuff. And, you know, the market is pretty cheap at the moment. And and Intuit are not frightened of acquiring. And they seem to be pretty good at um, pretty good at uh, getting businesses on board and getting them running the way they want to run them. Um, just one thing I picked out of the call is that uh, Intuit like to say that they're the bellwether for um for, for projecting the economy. And the reason they said that is because pretty much the vast majority of small businesses use their platform in America they get a very good uh, selection of data from small businesses across America. So they reckon they get some insight into, uh, into how the market's going. And, uh, yeah, they were, uh, they were not seeing anything that they needed to be particularly frightened of because I mean, they're projecting growth across the board.
0: Mm, So they're not worried about the macroeconomic environment then. They're not. Not concerned about kind of inflation and i mean so we point out this is another kind of software company um or now a collection of software companies i guess under one roof but their customers are going to be sort of uh diversified i guess fairly well there's going to be people that are manufacturing companies that are discretionary companies that are you know the kind of places that might be struggling in higher inflation no sign of that coming through here huh
1: that's, that's what they're saying. I mean, they're, they're literally every division of their business, they're they're product, uh, projecting pretty large, pretty fast growth. And like I say, these are not... You know, when we talk about growth uh, and we talk about the law of big numbers, these are not small numbers. These are big numbers with with big growth numbers behind them.
0: No, your market cap number was... I did check for you. Uh, just slightly inaccurate. You said 100 billion? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I had a look, it's actually 100.02. So just, just slightly Ooh. off uh, in that case by um two oh. tenths of one percent out there and that's uh, this is kind of paul briscoe levels of precision um <laughs> but uh, yeah, really interesting company and i had a quick look at a balance sheet i didn't see much by way of debt either
1: no it's a pretty clean balance sheet um mm. again um decent amounts of cash I really can't see much to not like about Intuit, just a little bit pricey, but it depends on, again, what we said at the very beginning, Sean, what kind of premium you want to put on that, when you want you want to put on that growth story. Again, when we talk about putting it in your discount cash flow, it probably won't make any sense whatsoever, but you've got to think that this company is quite capable of going for 10, 15, 20 years at a, at a good clip. So it will be really interesting to see uh, and and to hold, I guess, because yeah, I'm, I'm a holder of the stock as well.
0: Yeah, and I don't know about the discounted cash flow thing. I think it might be interesting to try that. So this is a company kind of unlike, um, say, a good example of Verizon or something like that, which is a very low PE company um, stock that I have held in my portfolio. Currently gone dark where I am, but don't mind that too much. Um, Verizon trades on a PE of around nine. And the reason it trades on a PE of around nine is because it has massive levels of debt. So when you're thinking about either how much cash you're going to get out of this company or or what you're planning on buying this company for somewhere you need to factor in a huge load of debt basically so in Verizon's case you're going to add a substantial amount onto the market cap and that's going to change your price earnings multiple quite a bit something like Intuit uh, might be net cash positive I'm not quite sure about that but at any rate debt's very low and it's not likely to add an awful lot to the kind of uh, value equation here so actually you have pretty good Vision as to how earnings are going to come through, cash heavy, and it's not going to take a vast amount out of things. Uh, margins are going to be reasonably high, from what I can see of it, anyway. So I don't know. I would be, I'd be surprised if that comes out completely mad on a, a discounted cash flow calculator. You need a pretty good idea of how this business works and what the kind of future looks like for it, and so on. But that's true of anything. Uh, if this is outside of your area of competence, and don't worry too much. But I'd be surprised if this looks too mad on a, a kind of discounted cash flow basis.
1: Just having a quick flick through their um, through their valuation metrics now on on Yahoo Finance and forward P of uh, twenty seven, which again I don't think is too high, depending That's on not the, that high.
0: It's, it's going to grow like that.
1: No, and uh, again, it's just one for Paul as well. Maybe we should have done this on stocks for Paul because it, it does pay a rather large 071 uh, percent dividend. Gosh. Um,
0: if you're flicking through things at the moment, I would be interested in whether or not they're buying things back um at all because you often find companies with uh dividends of that size mostly do their kind of share returns or sorry uh capital returns via buybacks um i'll just fill in while you have a look at that for a moment i've got an upcoming stock for paul that you can find out about it's zoom Um, I feel happy saying this here because I'm pretty sure Paul won't listen to it and won't guess it. But Zoom is actually doing quite a lot in the way of buybacks at the moment, I seem to notice. That's come down an awful long way, and it's still growing kind of okay, and it's hit what appears to be a sort of sensible level. There was obviously a large period of time when that wasn't a buy. But I did notice that buybacks are happening at Zoom. And you know, For a company that's supposed to be in sort of all-out growth mode, that struck me as kind of interesting. Wondering whether there's anything similar going on at Intuit at all. There are buybacks happening. I've said a really Uh good look. I
1: wasn't actually sure, um, but the uh, well, they haven't actually upgraded, they haven't updated Y charts yet. But uh, in January, which is the last quarter close, they bought about 540 million of their stock back. So, Mm. um, yeah, it looks like they're doing. uh, I mean, it stopped in July and October, but then we've had 164 million, 378 million, 463 million, 335, 539. So, yeah, they're buying them back a decent clip.
0: Yeah, so that's a half of 1%, roughly 500 million or so on this, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, In a quarter, so you might get a couple of percent push as you go along. That will uh, work out quite nicely in that case. Mm. Yeah, well, a nice preview into stocks of Paul here when we come to talk about these things in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Anything else on Intuit, Steve, or should we call that a day there? No, that's it. Brilliant. Then thanks very much for listening, everybody. Just us two this time, uh, but thank you for taking the time to have a listen to us. Do leave us a review. Do leave us a like. Do let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. Uh, We're not doing the midweekers anymore because, well, various complicated reasons. We imagine Paul will be back next week, but we're not actually sure where he is at the moment. But until then, bye for now and thanks for listening.